Hi everybody and welcome to the Cultural Studies Podcast. It's Toby Miller here. I'm in the coffee bar in downtown LA in Spring on Spring Street and I'm with my new friend whom I actually met here, Lily Baldwin. Hello Lily, how are you? I'm very well, happy to be here, thanks. In fact, I think you may even have been in this very seat I, I when we was. met. I know. It, and you were very you were very frank with me and you said something, you've got to check out his t-shirt. You immediately broke that wall and I loved it actually. <laughs> That's right, that guy, he was wearing this t-shirt that was a haiku, that had a haiku written on it attacking the concept of the haiku. Yeah. Right. It was very funny and tight, yeah. <laughs> it was funny, and he, he, he'd gone off to the restroom and I thought, this lady looks fun. I don't know why I thought that. Uh-huh. I bet she'd like this wacko t-shirt this guy has. No problem, hi. <laughs> we have I, a guest. Okay. You know, I had this fantastic incident once with somebody who yeah. I was flirting with and who said to me in English, the rest of the conversation was not in English, I have a French lover. And of course it was all over. I had to go and sit next to them oh, immediately. Oh, no. You can imagine. Oh, I, can, I would not like that. What <laughs> not like that comparison. Well, it was just an automatic response of desperation, I think. Sure. In any event, sadly, we're not here to talk about my exciting life. We're okay. here to talk about your exciting work. Thank you. And it is exciting, as I've discovered over the, the few days I've known you, uh, and what I know you're working on now is a film. Mm-hmm. So perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that and then some of the other films you've made, some of which I haven't seen. Sure, yeah. Um, well, I'm in L.A. now working on two features and basically... Um, is this good? Yeah. That's good, yeah. Um, my first two features and entering this sort of long-form foray. And, yeah. Um, Two features at the same time. Well, really. in development, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's just a bit of a crapshoot and right. one again roller coaster that I'm up for. But um, so essentially, came into film about two and a half years ago, um, not expectedly, not too intentionally, but just with a lot of curiosity and zeal. And I'm now on the next the next leg of this chunk in this adventure and working two features and um, continuing to still make my sort of small arty dance films that I've used myself as my subject matter and have fun doing that. So I'm doing a couple shoots out here at present as well as developing these features. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's that's busy. And most of the time you live in New York I think mm-hmm. now, right? Yeah. So tell us about dance because this is the one theme that seems to run through both your little arty sure. <laughs> films that's as you rightly call, call them. them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So LAFs, yes. or as they say in North England, laughs. Oh, I, good. Laugh. I like that. Yeah, your laughs. Yeah. Uh, and your feature and mm-hmm. your own performance work, mm-hmm. right? So there's a there's a constant theme there. Yeah. What is the what is the thing about dance? Well, I've, I sort of love it and can't live without it, and drives me nuts. Um, it's sort of how I figure out myself and navigate the world. And I've always been a mover. I've caught sort of my, my way of figuring out, sort of finding my edges. Um, so I stumbled upon dance kind of later in life. I didn't start at a small studio and it just, it enabled me to say something without words. And I mm. found it incredibly um, freeing, essentially, for lack of a better word or more interesting word. And so it's my train. I went to New York City, um, about 10 years ago and I've been dancing professionally uptown, downtown, metropolitan opera and then a lot of fun creative other stuff and other venues and galleries and it's just what I do. It's how I make sense of yeah, things. And yeah. so it's just been my lens that I filter through things things through essentially. How can I tell story using sort of physical vernacular um, 
And if, if, if possible, I'd like to see everything through this filter of articulate body. Articulate body. body. Or choreographed gesture. I mean, I could basically cut a dance out of this conversation right now. That would be great. Really interesting. fun. I mean, with cutting, you know, now using the element of film, which is something that's been incredibly exciting to me, a device to recontextualize and just kind of corrupt dance as I've known yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So this is not where the body illustrates words or words illustrate the body. It's where they, in some sense, meet in a complex way. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, you could say that. I also like to refer to dance as revealing a subterranean truth. Or a this, subterranean truth? Yeah, oh. sounds sort of epic and dark, but it's just or maybe below or above or around or on the <laughs> diagonal of a word, diagonal yeah. of a moment. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's been really interesting writing this, this narrative. It's one script that I've just been uh, immersed in called Glass. And at what point in a story does the story reach its limit and do you need dance to tell the story? Or, or sort of this dreamscape. And what we think of as dance. I mean, I'm so sick of musical theater and this sort of very presentational la la, ta-da moments, which are great and satisfy a real cultural niche. And, um, but I'm interested in also re revamping what we think of as dance. I mean, what, mm. what the hell is it? And well, it's, yeah. One of the things I noticed in one of your films I watched was that you had people moving quite dramatically, including I think yourself, yeah. but we never got to see the beginning, the middle and the completion of the movement because of your interest in cross-cutting. Uh -huh. yeah? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's um, been a lot of... Wait, sorry, you're going to ask me another No, no, that, yeah. that, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, well, it's, it started off where I was dancing. All of this came about kind of by default. I was on tour with David Byrne, um, touring for his... Touring with him and his album with uh, Brian Eno, Everything That Happens Happens Today, and found myself in these amazing cities, traveling around, and just... I love location, personality, culture outfits, um, lighting, a teacup, and sort of all of just this smorgasbord of story I kept encountering. And I just thought, God, I have to make something out of this. Um, so I would sit in hotel rooms and take these still images of myself, or have a friend do that, and, and then I just edit them in iMovie. And then created these sort of narratives, working from still images and jump cutting things back and forth and using this sort of hodgepodge um, repetitive approach to something that's disjointed and then not making it fluid. Yes. But it's like the cut-up literary method of William S. Burroughs, something that David yeah. Bowie sure. has shown interest in, something that I, I think David Byrne may have shown interest in at different times mm -hmm. also, yeah, actually. Sure. For sure. In fact, funnily enough, when I was looking for images and stories about you online, mm for today, one of the things I found was a blog post by David Byrne about you organizing a ballooning event, oh, yeah, where you all ended up in a softball field or yeah, something. Yeah, we did. That was hilarious. That was pretty fun. Well, that was my birthday, and we were in Albuquerque. Oh, it was your birthday? Yeah, and I thought, <laughs> I want to do something. We were in Albuquerque, and I, uh, I just wanted to do something random. So I said, okay, everyone get up at 6 in the morning, whoever wants to come and do this crazy thing. And it was incredible. And I took some great photos. I was really into... Um, I think he may be included on the blog. He did. There were three or four wonderful yeah. pictures. Oh, thanks. Yeah. 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 But I love... I call that dollhouse thing. Right? Actually, uh, seeing things from above, down below. Yeah. Um, and I'm really interested in that perspective in general, actually. Dollhousing. Because yeah. of that sense when when you take the roof off the dollhouse or you haven't put it on yet, you feel as though you have complete understanding of everything below you. Is that right? Essentially, yeah. It kind of gives you a sense of onus and um, 
mellow around your drama, I think. Sort of seeing it from above can kind of put things in a different perspective that I find refreshing. Now, can I ask you about mastery here? Yeah. Because it seems to me that one of the things about a choreographer is an element of mastery. You will stand here, you will go there, this is what this means. Is that right or have I got that wrong? Well, mastery is sort of a scary word. Yeah, I it has know. A lot of, it has a lot of connotations and implications I'm not a big fan of. However, I am full of opinions, <laughs> <laughs> and, which I love encountering lots of opinions. So I don't need to be the only right, just a, a, a version of right. Um, decisions have to be made. and. Um, you are essentially sculpting action and presence. Mm. Um, I think all film is choreography. It's about moving, a, you know, something in front of a, an eye, right? Um, so, I mean, don't you just it's about making decisions. Now, the thing is, you're working with live creatures. So, I've been on both sides. I've been, you know, the, the paint and the painter. Okay. Um, I think actually being on tour with David, it was wonderful. It was an amazingly creative experience. But I wanted to paint. So. Um, this idea of mastery, I mean, the thing about working with live bodies is that it's really a collaboration. Mm -hmm. And so I see it more as a, being a director and sort of harnessing casting well. And then I like finding, kind of tapping into people's essence or what their, what their um, idiosyncrasies are or what, how to bring out their truth and then whatever their shtick is and then kind of sculpt that. How, how do, I mean, I'm interested in that. Obviously, it is very filmic because on the one hand, as you say, these creatures are sentient beings. They're not mm. computers. Right. On the other, they're normally shown, put your hay foot there and your yes. straw foot there and sure. don't do anything else yeah. in a given shot, aren't they? Oh, so yeah. it's a mixture, I guess, of massive amounts of control. But of course, there'll always be this individuality that comes mm -hmm. simply from the nature of a face and the rest of the body. And I love that variable, actually. Right, 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 right. You know, and then there's cutting. So I always think that there's three films you make. There's the one that you conceive of, there's the one that you shoot, and there's the one that you edit. And you have to be able to kill the previous in order to move on to the next. I really do. For me, it is a very violent act, because I have such a concept of what I think can work, and that I have to step away and see it for the first time to then understand what it is. And, um, but editing is great because you know what? You can cut something out that didn't work if you have enough footage. And I yes. love that. And how, when you talk about there being three phases or uh -huh. three opportunities or in fact three pictures, yeah. three movies, how does that relate to your understanding of how dance is made? Are there different moments when it's transformed, would you say? You know, the, perhaps the music, if there's music, perhaps the formal choreography. Mm perhaps the actual performance, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Sure, I mean, I think that there are multiple stages. I think, I really see it as, the thing about dance is it's so fluid. I mean, you, especially modern dance, where you're making up a vocabulary. You know, I mean, ballet, you have this very distinct alphabet. And you know, we're, re we're constantly referencing, oh, that's so postmodern, or that's so Cunningham, or that's so Trisha, you know, in terms of modern dance, and now you codify it. But it's sort of a free-for-all. So in terms of making, I find that as an artist you have to constantly, I think we even spoke about this when we first met, but figure out what's extra. So the process is different when you're dealing with a live performance versus a final product. Um, does that answer the question? Yeah, sure, no, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess my one of my queries in all of this is 
getting back to something you mentioned earlier, but I'm still not really clear about, mm -hmm. which is the relationship between emotion and word. Mm. Uh, and I, I recognize that it's not as though you see one as superior to the other or more informative or whatever, mm -hmm. that they, oh, no. in a sense, are coterminous. But I'm still trying to get at how they're going to function in, in say, your features. I've seen how they operate in your shorts, yes. which we could talk about in a second. Mm -hmm. but tell me how that works in a feature film where often there's a great deal of dialogue or a lot of meaning is constructed through the look yeah. as much as through action. Yes. No, it's huge. I mean, there's a lot. I just wrote four essays based on your question there in my head. I have to figure out what I want to say. Um, in terms of, let's talk about dance and word. It's yeah. essentially expressing a feeling or a thought or a yeah. story. I like yeah. seeing things in terms of story. So, if I always, it, dance, I'm, I really, I'm not into dance that's gratuitous. Um, that's just for the sake of uh, looking like something or filling in the blanks or just feeling generally happy. I like it to have, um, I like it to be rooted in something incredibly specific. So whenever I'm dancing, if it's even choreographing or dancing in another production, I want to know why that I, what, what function I'm serving, so what I'm doing, what's the reason behind this. So if it's just that I am happy and I had a great day and I'm just coming home, I can't, I'll, I'll want my physicality to come out of a specific story. So that's how I anchor it in something tangible. And I think that that can be felt and read on stage or in, in a film, so that it isn't just fluff. And I just, um, I've encountered a lot of that and it frustrates me. So kind of in reaction to that. But in terms of fitting dance into the feature context, to be honest, I'm really living the question. Because I initially thought, well, I could just re remove dialogue and put in dance. And now I've been looking at the function of the dreamscape in musicals, because musicals are, have set a precedent for this dreamscape, which I'm now calling dancescapes. Um, and Spellcheck doesn't like dancescapes. <laughs> and I have to get used to the red line every time I say it. I'm such a heretic. Um, I have a colleague whose name is Nitten, uh -huh. and Spellcheck corrects his name to Nation all the time. Oh god, you have to, you have to get in there. Um, so essentially, so I've, I've basically been looking at the structure that's already been set up and um, often the, the, the dreamscape consists of, pretty, they, they exist in pretty simple narratives. Um, Singing in the Rain, I was thinking of when you were talking, Gene Kelly yeah. has his artsy 14 minute however long it is, right. interlude, yes. right? That is a dream, a fantasy that also mm -hmm. elucidates some of what's going on in the principal story. Mm -hmm. yep. yep, so it shows a little bit of angst. I mean, essentially, it's a moment where the narrative pauses, the camera probably gets low, starts moving on a circular dolly, sometimes slow motion, and you it basically reiterates one or two feelings, one or two emotional beats. Set, like I love you in 20 different ways um, and there's singing involved right often and dancing sometimes um, but it's usually one or two notes that struck and it's reiterated over and over again and I um, I'm, I'm really interested in having there be a story within each dancecape and dreamscape so 
help me out here if this isn't quite making sense. I want people to follow this because it is a, it really needs to be seen. It's not something that I can speak about really. So essentially, creating more complex experiences of these dance. These dancecapes are thicker and more intricate inside of a larger, complicated story sure. as well. With sure, nuance. Sure. Nuance is one of my favorite words. Mm. So the, the dancecapes are stories of their own yes. that also elaborate on what is there in the wider continue. narrative of the feature and they're not simply contained in the, the dreamscape. Yes. They move on and inform. They evolve the story, the uh -huh. larger story. So that's sort of my... I have a little manifesto I've written actually, kind of the how and the why of the dancecape, my little Dogma 95 um, <laughs> reference, so that I really contain it so I don't get too crazy. Is that available for people to read? Uh, yeah, it's actually... Um, I have, it is about to be posted on my website. And this is the great moment when I ask you, in what appears to be not a mannered and contrived way, Lily, what is your website so people can visit it? By the way, it is, as they say in Australia, land of my father, a ripper of a website. It's oh, terrific. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to inquire on all yeah. of the above or below. Um, it's essentially my name, lilybaldwin.com. L-I-L-Y-B-A-L-D-W-I-N. Like the bread, like the lock, the piano. <laughs> dot com. My associations. <laughs> and why not? So let's get back to the, the short films. Mm -hmm. They've been shown in a couple of places. Yeah. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and your experiences there. Sure, sure. Um, so there's kind of, you know, film, short films have a very specific life. There's digital platforms, um, which is lovely. I mean, it's just YouTube, which is great. Everyone watches stuff online. Um, but then there is, I showed recently a clip called It's a Soiree at um, Miami Art Basel 2012. That was really fun to be a part of that festival. Very art context, yes. kind of contemporary. And that, I really like that um, community around that. And then there's just a whole world of short film festivals. Um, um, Sleeping with Frank, which was sort of my first foray into narrative, which for me was, I based it off of a sitcom um, format, sort of A, B, C, D, a couple waking up and... What happens in their day. Exactly. Um, and so that had quite a big life and ended up touring on sort of smaller festivals all over the world. It's really yeah. lovely to meet people through this. Did you find you got different interpretations of it or receptions of it in different places? Yeah. I did, and people don't, I mean it's kind of cool and it's fun, I like I like this new concept of what I've been playing with is um, candy in, with medicine inside, so something that's kind of fun and palatable and enticing, because I'm interested in audience and communicating to people, so there's a lot of fun, you know the music's really cool, and I think it is at least, and, um, and so people generally kind of feel good and think it's nifty and neat and pretty, you know, but there's some, I like to infiltrate, I kind of corrupt pretty. <laughs> Be clear about things. To me, one of the things about sleeping with Frank is that it is both about a pleasant, casual intimacy and daily life, but also about the obstacles and the barriers that come with mm. living together. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I love about dance is that you don't, it's not written in stone because it's interpreted. I can kind of show this, explore this indifference or this dual sides of the same thing or without having to be too over the top about it. And I like that. I like this, the, avail the option to be subtle. Here's my over the top question yeah. then. In a couple of conversations we've had, and once or twice today as well, 
I sense a cosmic ambivalence or ambiguity in your attitude towards things like the musical mm. as the ur-popular culture manifestation in some ways of mm. dance and song mm -hmm. in long-form feature that mm -hmm. you both like it and admire it and actually really take a, quite a distance from it as mm -hmm. well. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate anything that is distinct and that knows itself well and is well-defined. An investigated genre, I really appreciate. And I love to kind of riff and play on that and reference that. However, it's a little packed for me and it, it's like one, one layer. I find that its approach to emotion is very frontal. It's a very surface, and there's, um, it's, uh, it's easy. For me, it's, an, it's, a more, it's more straightforward and less complicated. Expression of physicality, there's a way, it's very out. It's yeah, very well, this is the Arthur Freed MGM unit you're just describing, I think. And yeah. Of course, I think great works of art were constructed under that rubric, but certainly hmm. what you describe is the limiting factor. Mm -hmm. You know, but we love, I mean, don't we love something that's loud and fun that we can hook on? Something obvious. I love working with things that are obvious, but things that are also intricate. And for me, the format of the musical is, it's, it feels formulaic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, speaking of formulae, one of the things that struck me about, I forget which of your films it was now, mm -hmm. I must admit. But it's the one where you have the people dressed in sort of 70s oh, yes. skirts. Which one? Uh, so that would be Sea Meadow, my recent dance yes, thriller. Yes, right, yeah. recent dance thriller. That was at South by, South by Southwest. By, at South by Southwest. And maybe before I finish my thought, you could explain to listeners, because about half the audience is outside the United States, yep. what South by Southwest is, which is super famous in many parts of the world, mm -hmm. but won't be known absolutely everywhere. It's a film festival, among other things. There's a whole interactive component. Um, music too. And then there's the music festival, yeah. I and mean, it takes place in Austin every year. And it's just a really lovely platform for newer newer visions and newer ideas. I think there's a great energy to it. And um, it just feels kind of pioneering and young and fresh. Right. And that's, I'd like to surround myself with that. <laughs> and why not? And it's great that your work was pioneered there. Yeah. So I... In looking at that film and seeing the, the dresses the women mm -hmm. are wearing, yeah. in the, there's a sequence when people are dancing in a, mm -hmm. an apartment or a house. Yeah, I call it the soiree section, but yeah. The soiree section. The living room. And forgetting about the wider elements of the film and just focusing on that, it made me think about the thing that's known in the United States as white guy overbite dancing. Saturday Night Live, <laughs> sure. white man with a bite, who, listens, who plays air guitar yes. and throws his hair around and jumps up and down yeah. and loosens his tie and yeah. feels as though he's a hipster. Which reminds me a lot of what I did and lots of people like me did in the 1960s and 70s, uh -huh. where it was thought that you were actually unleashing some kind of animal spirit, right. like, like a Keynesian economist on a rampage when the market was bullish by allowing yourself to become one with the music and this right. was deemed to be extremely spontaneous and whatnot. Yes. But it very quickly dissolved into white guy overbite. Uh -huh. An extremely aesthetically unpleasing uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> entity. Yeah. Now what's that about, that moment in the film? And is uh, is it are these people being white guys doing their overbite? Well it was more for me an exploration of 
um, a certain sensibility of um, kind of a more pro provincial, closed midlife crisis time where um, people are looking. It, it was a commentary on just that, actually, on people looking to take a risk and try something new and feel to feel something fresh and be cool, and then in doing so, just kind of crumble. I mean, there's a scene. I mean, essentially kind of the cake falls, it becomes a sort of oblivion and mess of just uh, mayhem and kind of visual cacophony. Um, so it, for me it was about that tumble and how you can... When you take sure. a risk yeah. but you actually fall. That's an interesting Thank metaphor you. to use for a dancer. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. What happens when you fall when you're a professional um, dancer? We have to pretend that you meant to do it. <laughs> you really do. I mean, it's amazing. Like a gymnast at the Olympics. Except that there's more rules. I mean, if, if you can get it, if, if you're on stage with people that can really follow you and you can just go with it, hopefully nobody knows. And I'm sure those judges can be pretty fierce. Um, it's an amazing practice, actually, just to be... And that's the one thing I actually really love as a director, um, is... People that are just working with who they are as a performer. For me, youth, I, I tried for so many years to be a different kind of performer than I really was, and the minute I realized this is what I do, and this is my body, and this is my range, and I'm not trying to lift my leg higher than it can go, but I started to work with that, and within that, my, my dance just took off. And finding people, and getting them to be exactly who they are, and then working with that has been really interesting. Mm. And I also put myself in everything I do because that's how I figure out material so I get to practice that constantly as well. How do you select actors then? Oh, it's people I know, you know, I mean it's growing now and increasing the scope of my directing and whatnot. Um, I just, I know people I know and I've encountered on the, you know, people I meet, I just, it has to be kind of this, um, just a nest, I call it a nest to somebody, you know, the N of N-E-S-S. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you heard <laughs> And uh, it's just a specific nest that gets the point across. That, that you associate with them and that also that relates they, to the character. That they that epitomize, that they, yeah. can, that they can bring to life in a context I provide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Can I get back to the dance thing for a yeah. moment and, and ask you about some of the different dance forms that you've mentioned and how they might relate to your future work in cinema and the, the ones I'm thinking of are classical European dance, mm -hmm. if you like, ballet, mm -hmm. what we often call ballet, the frequently New York oriented notion of modern dance, mm -hmm. you mentioned Merce Cunningham, uh, one thinks obviously of Martha Graham, many other sure. people. Uh, and then, let's say, the dance associated with the musical or any other of the popular culture genres yeah. since. How do you see those things intersecting in your own mm. practice? Let's start with that and then think about what they might mean for your mm -hmm. films. But if you don't accept my three-way split, that's fine. Sure. I mean, change it. No, I mean, that's a wonderful beginning. Everything. I mean, I love all of it. I love putting aerobics. I love, you know, parkour, which is this whole, you know, sort of street climbing, integrating with environments. Um, 
you know, tap dance. I actually can't can't tap dance. I wish I could. I love a good a, a good reference to a show tune with the right footing it can be just the right ironical twist. Sure. Um, you know, a good amount of kind of contemporary angst. You know, Pina Bausch style. You know, I mean, it's I think it all feeds into it, and I love referencing everything. And, and sometimes I like visually referencing and saying, yes, this is the tradition and heritage I'm coming from. This is a nod, or it's just in there. I mean, it's kind of hard to separate myself from it because I draw from what I know, and I've studied a lot of it. I mean, I was, I've tried to break. I was practicing for a while in this West Village, 17th Street, this uh, dining hall, and trying to be a, my own version of a B-girl. But that was when I was at the, <laughs> Met I was at the Metropolitan Opera, and I ended up throwing my back out. And I realized that I couldn't do both of those at the same, both of those techniques at the same time. That's interesting. Yeah. So to be the Metropolitan Opera dancer, you had to be that. For that My body, yeah. Your body wouldn't allow just, you to do these other things. It was too much, yeah. Yeah. So, did you ever wear a baseball cap backwards on your way into the theatre to perform, or did you have to give up the entire persona? Oh, God, no. You definitely um, do all of it. I did all. I mean, I first came to the city and I shaved my head and I was 25 pounds heavier than I am now. And I had really different, many personas, many ways of times of inhabiting my body. And, um, so, and at that time, I mean, I was a different kind of mover. I know, you probably wouldn't believe it, but yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I just love exploring. I mean, now I'm very feminine, and I love being checked out, and my version of it, and that's, I've had many incarnations, and it's informed by moving a lot. Is it? Mm. Yeah. And how does that then relate to what you're doing professionally, mm. to put bread on the table, as it were? How does that connect, that sense of transformation? Because certainly in terms of different jobs I've had, yeah. the way I've presented myself to myself and the world has changed uh, radically. Based on? Based on or in connection with how I was earning yeah. my keep. Well, for me, the real being on tour, actually, with David was about being able to take myself seriously as an artist for the first time. And I didn't ever really trust myself in a way where I thought, I have an idea, you know what, I'm just going to do it. And so for me, it's about taking myself seriously and following my inclinations and my interests. So if I'm interested in pleated skirts and shoulder pads and pumps, the concept of pump I love. It's wonderful, isn't it? Oh, it's just women in the workforce. You know, so that for me, if I'm convinced of myself, whatever I am, it's, it kind of goes over. Yeah. But it's taken me a couple years to get here. What was it, do you think, about that experience on tour? Um, thinking and being outside of the box, my box. Um, first of all, just seeing the world. It's like, you know, God, people do, a lot of people do a lot of different things. Just that even opened my eyes, possibility. And then um, David is stellar to work with. Um, he really lives his curiosity in a way, and we all did on that tour. We, we had bikes and we just explored um, corners and people wanted to show us things. And so, and then I got to meet a lot of other artists and see people working. And this is the thing, is seeing successful, what I call idiosyncrasy at work. You know, no, but people that I didn't feel like had to sacrifice their integrity and had resources enough to, to go there. You know, I'd been a real struggling artist and I realized that it kind of capped me off. I, was, I always had to stay 
functional about things and I, I was able to fantasize. Within certain parameters. Exactly. In order to survive and then when you realize that maybe there's another way of there's doing other, things. There's other just seeing it. And then also dance. I mean dance is, dance is like, and this is one of the things that's been stifling for me just personally is performing for the same audience, performing for my peers in the same venues, in the same capacity and wanting to bring dance to more audience and to use it in different ways. I mean, dancing with a rock band, not just like kind of backup dance, which is amazing, um, it's kind of weird arty stuff we were doing up there. Well, I've seen some stills, I think, from the shows, and you definitely weren't in the background in the stills that I saw. Yeah, no, I mean, it was really conversive and with the band and with the audience, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's wonderful. So a lot of this is about breaking down barriers for you, but it's also about acknowledging that the barriers might be there for some reasons mm -hmm. in terms of learning how to do things. Craft. Craft. Technique. Technique. I mean, that's one thing about moving into film, and I just love dancers. I mean, their work ethic, I mean, man, you just work hard. And you're, I mean, I'm pretty much a crazy perfectionist, and a lot of dancers care about minutia in a way. Built some pretty great character. Well, I have to mention a film I hate at this point. Oh, good. <laughs> Let's go there. I really hate The Black Swan. Ah. Uh, I hated it from beginning to end. I may even have mentioned this to you the other day, I'm not sure. I really hate it. Huh. Do you have any idea why I hate it? Can you help me? Well, why don't I talk about what I think about it? And, and, and Well, in terms of, uh, for me, it, it felt like outsiders. Um, trying to make a film about dance because I thought it was cool. Sort of working with these really predictable cliches around dance and the world of it and treading lightly on that material and sort of making a mirror image Xerox copy of it. You know, I'm not really delving deep into it. However, one of the things I did love about it was um, the interplay between real and surreal and that blurry balance. I thought that was interesting. Yes had it been done in an interesting way but yeah, sure I mean, it it's a nice idea and bits of it looked beautiful yeah the production you know, design was nice I liked the costuming and, yeah all but of that. I, I was not I mean am I allowed to have opinions thought opinions about things on this <laughs> absolutely okay. one of the nice things about this is that there is no censorship the deal is I rent space on a website mm -hmm. in order then for it to be acceptable to Apple and go out on iTunes to yeah. people they listen to the first two or three episodes uh -huh. and decide that it's not just a bunch of teenage boys sitting around saying boring stuff yeah. repetitively yeah which of course is in fact exactly what it is but shh, don't tell anyone <laughs> I and after that they don't yeah. care what you do so uh -huh. there's no censorship so you okay. can say yeah. bad words you can talk about the bad thing okay. and you can also give your views on anything you like mm -hmm. in the confidence that unlike much of your art it will not be edited because uh -huh. I don't edit I know. this is just whatever happens it's goes out like a performance it is a bit I mean, it's well, interesting so yes so in terms I'm of the performance aspects of the black swan well, I, I didn't love the dance at all, and I didn't like what the camera did with the dance. I mean, there's so much possibility with camera and body that you can play with, and I just didn't explore that at all. And editing is is, is another level of dancing, really. I mean, it's so fun yes. to play with that. But for me, I just felt like it was this class. You just basically spin around 
a body. That's what a lot of what it did, slow motion spinning. Yeah. It just, it didn't reinvent. For me in those moments, I wanted to climb inside in a different way and have something reinvented. Now what about if I just, for a moment, talked about it in gender terms, because that was one of the things I didn't like yeah, about it. of course. I have to say, apart from the fact that it was utterly predictable. Oh my God. Everything okay. was completely so, predictable yeah. from the beginning. So go make out with your choreographer and then, you know, invigorate your passion and find the dance. I mean, it was just like, come on. Right, and he's a shitbag and he's going to yeah. destroy you yes. and women hate one another and are competitive right. and the men scope out all of this and control it and right. do well yeah. and the women are tragic and there's no hope for anybody. That's mm -hmm. a lot of what I was oh, experiencing. Completely. I mean, there is, of course, every stereotype comes from a truth. Or helps to create a truth. Mm -hmm. Right, it can go both ways. Mm. Um, but sure. So there were some elements, sure. I mean, there are some real elements. I can't tell you how many times I introduced myself as a dancer, which I no, no longer do. I say I'm a filmmaker. And you just, eyes go up and down the body. Oh, oh. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, just subtle assumptions. Oh, you know, people feel like I'm the sort of ultimate this beacon of health. And, you know, oh, uh, you probably don't have cake. And, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, really? I always assume it means people's toes and ankles are in a bad way and they may not even have feeling in their feet. Well, that can happen. Yeah, there is. A lot of calluses and funny-looking toes. And Anyway always de-romanticized on my part. Well, it's a, it's a reality. <laughs> no, but I actually, I really agree with what you're saying, and it was a shame that that, yeah. that it was presented in such a, um, just a um, very frontal manner. Frontal. Yeah, yeah. that's a word you've used before. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Um, I think of frontal, the facade, the, the first layer, the quick, the quick fix, the, the book cover, you know, um, the quick read. For me, I, I used to really, well, it's interesting, I'm kind of riffing on this now, but I used to really hate gender for that reason. That we meet a person's gender before we, we meet them. But now I've actually, I really love gender and the categories that gender provide for quick communication, um, easy reading. And so this idea of book cover, gender, facade, front, it's a, it's a fun layer to acknowledge and then move past. Well, there are a lot of, there's a lot of playfulness can come with the surface and also some profundity. Let me give you a quick story yes. from today. I was crossing Broadway on Fifth Street, very close to where we are here in downtown Los Angeles, and there was a guy roaring past in his red roadster sports car. Mm -hmm. He was tooting his horn and saying, get out of the way, and so on, screaming at people and accelerating loudly away. Not talking to us as pedestrians, but to other cars, in an absolutely needless form. And I don't like that sort of thing. I find that terribly macho and annoying. And sure. so I said, nice guy. And the man next to me, waiting to cross at the light, said to me, nice car. I looked at him and I smiled, he smiled back, and then he said, guy probably got it running a sweatshop. They're all off in that direction where he's headed. Sure. So we got to have, I got to have anyway, quite a profound insight into this gentleman's views. Huh. Where at one level he's saying, who cares about the macho stuff, wow, what a car. Right. At another level he's saying, how do we put together that man's subjectivity yes. with that expensive piece of metal? Right. Oh, I know, 
he probably exploits yeah. a vast number of people who actually work and create things. Yeah, the layers to that. So the layers are incredible when, it when you're dealing with something. It's a very surface interaction. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I and I like I like I like reckoning with the front and then and then having the back kind of pop out. I really like recognizing that kind of those assumptions and kind of riffing on them. And for me, that's where irony can come in as an, as an artist and being a front. I mean, you think you know me. We think we know. Or, or just, I've been really into um, Angela Lansbury and sort of this kind of murders she wrote kind of detective, um, very, very lightweight, fluffy, strange stuff. Um, but then, which has a very easy, obvious front, and I like that kind of play, but then getting dark about it. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, if you look at a lot of the... We had a chat first time we met about crime fiction, I think, mm-hmm. about yeah. Chandler. Yeah. If you look at Ernest Mandel's book, Delightful Murder... Mm, I don't uh, know. He's now sadly passed away, but he was a Belgian Trotskyite economist, mm-hmm. and he wrote a history of the crime fiction story mm-hmm. across many languages, many of which he spoke tried to relate it, I think very effectively, to economic transformations. Mm-hmm. And part of this is about the impossibility of an authentic self mm-hmm. and how the detective, uh-huh. and the Angela Lansbury That's one is a fascinating instance of this, whom I think, which I think he doesn't look into. The detective embodies this. They have this professional world, yeah. which is all about you know, means, ends, rationality, something you have to do, serving public good, yeah. bureaucratic rules or is about being an amateur who nevertheless yeah. operates within many of the same rules and forms of rationality. Sure. You know, how did this happen, how did that happen? But then another part that is about you as a lost soul, yeah. trying to put the world together and make uh-huh. a whole story out of what is in fact a set of puzzles that you don't understand. And it's really a very chaotic life, right? I find that quite terrifying, actually. I mean, it's something I've thought about is is it, is it just a matter of layers of subjectivity that we kind of piece on top of each other, or it's all about or, in projection, or is there is is there something innately authentic inside of it? I mean, I, I actually do. I, I feel for me, authentic is a great barometer. Um, this is this ness of which you spoke. I yeah. Guess, yes. Thank you. Nice, nice tie back. Um, and it's something that doesn't necessarily fit into words. It's tactile. And I do think that we, we make, I, I often inquire, how do we know when something's right? Like that moment of either, oh, I'm putting the, you know, the red brush stroke here, or I'm going to, I want you to come in upstage left. Like, well, how do we know? And I, I think when we make decisions, at least I do, and I've witnessed it in others, through a physical thing, physical, tactile um, feeling. So literally, I know when something's right because I feel something change. It's tactile. It's, um, and I think I'm just such a body person. It's how I, I make sense of things. But it's like uh, something clicks. And for me, being authentic or feeling authentic is a physical clicking. <laughs> makes sense. Do things fit together? Do they feel right? Yeah, exactly. But the answer is, is felt. Mm. But of course, lots of creativity comes when people don't feel right. Well, because you're working with the discomforting feeling to make it, I think, to make more semblance. I mean, I do think that we all gravitate towards health, ultimately. I, don't, I always think about that one little sprig that grows out of a crack, you know, the will to live, the will to grow. And it's sort of this ridiculously poetic little thing I thought about in, like, fifth grade. <laughs> ah, everyone wants to get better. I don't know, but there is... 
And the, I've dealt with tons of injuries in my body, and I've seen the body's ability to heal. It's been this insane teacher. Tell me a bit about that, not necessarily in a personal way if you don't sure. want to, but as I said when I mentioned, and I didn't mean it flippantly, about when I hear somebody is a dancer, the first thing I think about is injury. Mm. It's not, oh, I guess you don't eat cake. It's, I wonder how much pain you're in. Mm. I don't know why I think that, but that's where I go. The same thing when I hear about a gymnast. The first mm. thing I think of is pain, uh -huh. arthritis, yeah. all, all kinds of problems. And I especially think about this with reference to women, getting yeah. back to gender issues. Sure. Because of some of the requirements that, it is my understanding, women go through when very, very young, as part of the projection onto their later life yeah. as dancers, and also with the notion that that dancing life is going to end remarkably young. Mm -hmm. So could you talk a little bit about that again, not necessarily autobiographically if you don't want to. Sure, no, no, not a problem. Um, I mean, first of all, dancing, dance careers end depending on which world of dance you're in. You know, modern is contemporary, I like to call it, is much longer lasting, even especially in Europe. Um, is I, it? I, I find. I mean, I'm honestly, outside of dance, the way I, I'm not in dan the dance world as much now, much more film, but... Um, Ballet is completely short-lived, you know. Um, I mean, you're done at 30 in many cases, 35. What did you say? You're done at 30, 35 oh. as a woman in um, ballet, classical in ballet. Ba oh, ballet? Oh, yeah. Definitely. 32, 33. I mean, maybe 37 if you've got amazing genes, but... Um, what happens? What makes it not possible to continue in that world? Is it injury? Honestly, yeah, injury and pain. Yeah. Um, and other someone else comes along that's better. All about way. Eve. Yeah. <laughs> and it really better than maybe just that spark. Maybe yeah. the director just responds to somebody else. You know, right. it's just the vanguard. Right. Yeah. You know, Dar Darwin at work. Um, but in contemporary dance or modern dance, much more. More open. open. Oh, definitely. Um, so, you know, then there's dance theater, then there's act, you know, there's all, there's, there's so yeah. many little, so many ways to view that, that limit, um, and really depends on the industry. But in terms of pain, is I think you just have to, um, I like to define it not as pain, but as sensation. Because um, I've also, as a way to pay the bills, when I was just solely dancing, I taught yoga and um, worked with people in a therapeutic capacity. So you basically just have to move beyond it. I mean, it's just will. It's just focus and not reacting loudly to, oh my, I mean, I to something and then just stopping, but trying to figure out how to work with that limitation. Example, um, we had a break on tour with David and I, I was in Athens and I took a little trip by myself and got in an accident and had 12 stitches with a scooter on my thigh and uh, it was Ooh. horrible. And I had to perform five days later. Oh my god. But I just did it. I mean, it's willpower and craft, you know, and, uh, but it was quite a sight. I thought this, I was going to bust the stitches out, but the body's resilient. <laughs> I know, it sounds garish. I have horrible photos. We've got to illustrate this with a couple of photos. We'll go online, see I, if we can find your injury online. I, I, I probably haven't posted it. I think, yeah, I don't think we did. I, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty garish. I'm not sure if we'd want to go there. Agreed. Um, now, we've, we've only got five or ten minutes left, Lily. I wonder if we could go back to film, mm -hmm. uh, although it's never separate, really, from dance in your discourse. We've talked a bit about gender. What's it like for you in gender terms, moving into this very complicated industry as a director, 
at a fairly young age, yeah. but having not come through conventional avenues to mm. get there. Have you encountered difficulties, possibilities? Mm. Have you found that gender and age are irrelevant? And what's it like? It's kind of a big topic. Um, a good one, one that I've been really reckoning with and I've been feeling mortal lately in a way that I don't like, kind of the weight of time and um, being young always helps. Um, so let me start with the beginning. Um, first, first part of your question is coming without any official training, moving into film. I mean, I, I basically put myself through film school, the amount of time that I've, I've spent um, studying with people I've met at the Apple Store and then had some great friends in, in LA and really well-to-do people that know the craft and just, I've done everything. I mean, I've cut, I've taught myself how to cut on Final Cut Pro. I've um, just seen a shitload of films. Um, right. I've, you know, I'm working on two screenplays and I just read about four screenplays and just try to kind of look at the way that that works, that format. And so I think because I don't have all of this, um, it's actually all of this, this um, what would be the word, sort of codified learning around it, it's created a fresh approach that I found beneficial, to be honest. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. basically, I mean, I didn't know the software and editing, and I just figured out sort of these weird way to make things happen, and um, I think it's helped me pioneer something fresh. Well, that's what the, the great narrative of the autodidact Mm. On the one hand, the self-taught subject is sometimes never entirely secure. Right. Am I doing this the quickest way? Right. If I were really a lawyer, I might have done this right. th three days earlier. Yeah. Right? Yeah. On the other hand, you have worked it out for yourself, and you didn't need daddy telling you what right. to do. Exactly. So I feel... And then you know what? I've, one of the things is I just admit it all. I don't pretend to know. I mean, well, sometimes I do. I do. Sometimes I do. I what I call fake it till I make it. Just I put on a hat and I say, sure, I know how to do this, or sure, let's try it, or you know. And then I kind of, I make, I, I meet it. I make sure I meet it. I mean, I think if I didn't have such an insane work ethic, um, I have a hard time not working. I just love everything that I'm engaged in, so I'm a bit possessed. Um, being a woman is hard. Being taken seriously, not being a piece of ass. I mean, being a dancer, because I'm in my work too, a lot. And I'm not done being my own vehicle. And that's something I've just come to terms with. I was choreographing and assisting and doing some other things and directing others. And you know, that's just right now, I'm used to figuring it out from the inside and I'm still young and want to use that. So, um, use that energy. So, to be taken seriously, it's been tricky. And you know, the dance, there's not a lot of money. There's a lot of money in film. And where there's money, there's power in a different way. And there's this charge to to things. I mean, there's commodification in a way that I'm just not used to. And I'm just, I'm used to a queer world, really. You know, it's a world I feel very comfortable in. And it's a very, film for me has been a very straight world. And with a lot of men in charge. I love working with them. I love female producers. I mean, it's just, and I don't find it really competitive amongst women. Some women encounter that. Now I also love to feel sexy. Um, and there is a power to that, and I've seen that. I mean, I, you know, when I first moved to the city, like I said, I wore bomber jackets, and I would get, I love it when people would call me guy from behind, sir. I would just get the biggest kick out of it. And then I remembered I first wore, when I first wore tight jeans on the subway, and somebody let me go first. 
and I thought, first I got, I just, I didn't like how easy it was. <laughs> but then I really did. And the power of being a woman. There's something to it too, you know? And it, it's so random why people get where they get and who likes what because of, you know, and it's, I basically just feel like a character in the best sense of the way, the word. I love to dress up. What I wear makes me feel something. So they have, Tell us about your hat. I, well, I really love it. Oh. That is fedora. Is that what it's, it's called? No, no. Well, it's an ode to the fedora. I mean, <laughs> and there's bad copies of fedoras these days. This is a, this is a remake as well. But I am. Um, I found this. Some woman had it on the street, and I asked her where she got it. And I, I did quite a bit of research to find this hat. After researching a bunch of um, cowboy shops in Idaho that didn't have the right hat, so I ended up with this, and I'm very particular. <laughs> it's a sort of brown, velvety, camel-colored. Yeah, camel, yeah. And you've got a western-style shirt yeah, on. Yeah, it's the mood of the day. I love plaid, well. and I like. I usually wear multiple plaids at once when I'm feeling... Bold. Yes, exactly. It's a very fine hat. Yeah, and I, for, for, I really like this hat. It kind of... Um, I feel... I feel serious. I feel... It's sort of like what shoulder pads do for me. I like certain angles, and I... I I have a bunch of old eyeglasses that I inherited from my grandparents and I've just refilled them with rose-colored lenses. Oh, really? And I just have fun with accoutrement. Sure, that's really fun. So listen, one, one last thing. Um, and we, we've got a little bit of, we've got four or five minutes if you've got enough time yeah, sure. to go on to this or yeah, take it in go. a different direction, your, your call. Okay. We've been saying film, 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 film. Mm. Are you actually shooting on film? Do you envisage seeing most of your work being shown in movie theatres? Mm. Well, no, I'm not shooting on film. I'm digitally. Um, I've been working with the DP, uh, Ben Wolf. The director of photography. Yes. And um, he's been shooting on his red camera. Um, I did, however, just shoot a music video on an iPhone. Um, when the budget fell through and I was in London, I just said, fuck it, I'm just going to make yeah. this. And that was a really fun limitation to work with. And I had to really recognize in the film, in the music video, the, the limitation. I wanted to acknowledge it as such and not pretend it was bigger than it was. Um, I'm trying to get our students to see that our buying and cameras to work with may be unnecessary because we don't have, we have a limited budget. Uh -huh. And they get broken and they get out of date and there aren't enough to go around. Well, what kind of camera? I mean... Well, they just want a camera, and I'm telling them, try your cell phone. Oh, it's a great limitation. The, the bummer is the, the lack of zoom for me. Um, you know, and, the, and it's low res. So anyway, so I've been shooting on... And then I also have a 7D that I shoot on, um, and then a small little Canon that I, I also work with. And um, I... See, movie theaters are a very specific life that I'd love to venture into. Um, I love that interface where you... I mean, it's like, a, it's like a performance, but it's this moving image, you know, and I I really like that kind of dark space, and it's I love really great music, and I love engaging the viewer in a visceral way, and I feel like a movie can do that in a way that a dance performance in that proscenium setup doesn't have that loud impact, so I'd love that. Um, I, I'm talking, starting to show a little bit of work in galleries, and that's a nice, it's much more kind of where my, my heart and soul are, and where I've come from, and much more experimental, and 
Unfortunately, and fortunately, it takes a family to make a film a village. I mean, a ton of resources, and I'm realizing, shit, you know, it's just a lot of coordination that needs to come into play. And I love doing things on my own, too. And um, I had the privilege of, when I was on tour, spending some time with Cindy Sherman, who's a hero of mine, really artistic hero, creative. Um, I just did a podcast last week with someone who's written a book about Cindy Sherman. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, great. Um, anyway, so her process I find incredibly inspiring. And uh, in terms of, she's in charge and she does it on her own terms. And the, obviously, you know, the depth of caliber of her work is pretty magnificent. Yeah. Now, in terms of just taking off from that to finish yeah, off, great. where the thing gets seen, what do you see as being the benefits and the limits of the newer distribution systems? The fact that, yes, the idea of going into a really wonderful theatre where you're absolutely immersed in picture and sound as a viewer versus nerdy guy watching your movie on his phone mm. in a basement. The idea that the future for the distribution of your work may be what a lot of it's been up to now, Did which is online. Yeah. How would you like to see that develop? That's a great question. Um, I love that it gives the onus to the viewer that sort of, they can put it in your back pocket and take it. Um, so essentially, I would like to see higher res images in that very flimsy capacity. Flimsy is in hand, just toss, tossable. I mean, I'd love it. I'd, I would love as many people to see the moving image as possible. And what I love about it is that it's so easy to be honest, is that you have to work a little harder to be good. Because anyone can be a filmmaker, really. It's so, I mean, more or less. And you can, anyone can, you can show it anywhere. You know, I just put it to, you know, it's, the question is distinguishing what you do. And I really, it's given me a freedom to come in as really no, 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 no training. But really figure out what's important, what needs to be said. And what's a story worth telling? What's a story worth telling? Well put. Well, Lily Baldwin, thank you very much for joining us in the pod. And I'm hoping that I can get you to agree to come back when, say, if not before, your first feature is finished. Would you do that and come back into the pod? It would be a pleasure. Fantastic. Thanks, Toby.